The reason that our country is in the mess that it is in today is not because of the Republicans, it's not because of the Democrats. Let me tell you this, it's because of lame Christians. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a very convicting subject to cover today, but first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform which you're listening to us upon. We have several social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read. Be sure to check us out on our fan page on Facebook when you type in the search bar the at symbol Mighty Fortress 313. You can also take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com. There we have the host of media where you can find articles, videos, and even a link to our merch store to help support the work. And, of course, if you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through our website in the established PayPal link. If we've helped you in some way, feel free to email at us, ourmightyfortress at gmail.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to talk about something that, if it goes unchecked, it will cost you everything. I am talking about the curse of pride. There's a very famous story in the Bible about the different aspects of pride and its effects on people. Before we get into that, when you think about it, there are so many problems that have happened in our lives because of pride. This could be because of us or somebody else's of course but we can very well point out how pride has affected our lives negatively many times we can bounce back from bad decisions that were made but sometimes there's no going back from the damage pride has cost us it is not like the stories in the bible are something new when compared to our current society it's just the same types of things happening in human history when it comes to the interactions amongst each other and you know what in the word of god he does leave down the down and dirty versions of these types of stories to help teach us very very valuable lessons the story that we're going to analyze comes from the book of 2 Kings in chapter 5. And it's about the Syrian war general Naaman. Ironically enough, 
The story is not just about this great general, but about the people around him. Each of them made different choices that are not only affected that not only affected their lives, but drastically impacted Naaman himself. I'm going to zero in on some of those important features of the story. Uh, maybe some of those you maybe not have heard before. I hope you find them interesting. We will first look at Naaman's dilemma itself and what brought a great man in the world's eyes down to his knees. Then we're going to look at how his arrogance and pride almost cost him everything of the very thing he was looking for. Then we'll meet a character in which it does cost him everything. At the end of the story, we'll be left at the fear and wonder of Almighty God. With that introduction, let's get right into this. The amazing story begins in 2 Kings chapter 5, and let me read this first section that helps start us off in verse 1. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the hosts of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. End quote. The main character of the story is Naaman, and what's special about him is he's the captain of the host of the king of Syria, which means he's the chief general. The king of Assyria at this time was Ben-Hadad. Now you have to understand that the Assyrian army in this particular time period was a force to be reckoned with in the region. The Assyrian Empire stretched across the northern part of the Middle East today, and it wouldn't see its downfall until Babylon emerges on the scene a little later. This is all to say that Naaman was indeed a great man in the eyes of men. He was a tried and true leader in battle, famous for his victories. One historian put it this way, quote, He held a great position involving rank vast patronage, considerable annulment, and a place in the thoughts of men next to that of the king, end quote. In all of this grandeur of his position, it had one major drawback, and the Bible says it right there at the end of that verse, he was a leper. You have to understand that leprosy is a very ancient disease, and if you contracted it back then, it was a death warrant. There was no herb or drug that could heal someone who was exposed to this deadly disease. According to the Centers for Disease Control, Hansen's disease, which is you know formerly known as leprosy, they, they renamed it, is an infection caused by slow-growing bacteria called Macobacterium leprae. It can affect the nerves, skin, eyes, and the lining of the nose, end quote. So basically, your skin becomes numb and then gets infected for an, a multitude of reasons. And that's will, what will eventually kill you. As it progresses, it could leave you blind, paralyzed, and crippled with mangled uh, limbs. Today, in the Western world, we call it Hansen's disease because, you know, 
we're just so concerned with people's feelings <laughs> that organized organizations feel that saying leprosy, uh, leprosy stigmatizes people. <laughs> it's funny in a way because most of the rest of the world still calls it by its original name, leprosy. This disease can be cured today, though, and the vaccines for such are actually very inexpensive. The disease was pretty contagious, and once you contracted it, you were an outcast from society, and you were forbidden to come into any town or city. The Bible gives God's direction for containment and quarantine for lepers as to not to affect the rest of the community. What if you were a man of position and rank in the society such as the Assyrians? It seemed as though Naaman had done so much uh, to gain favor with the king because, hey, he didn't want his military genius to just get shoved off somewhere. So, hey, even though leprosy brought shame and people were constantly trying to keep their distance from you, the king said, hey, let's, let's keep Naaman close. It goes to show, though, no matter how much power and how much prestige that you attain, you can still be brought to the point of death by something so small as a bacteria. On top of that, he was a lost man, not knowing the one true and living God. This is the perfect picture of what Jesus Christ was saying in the New Testament in the book of Matthew, chapter 16 and verse 26, when he said, quote, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? End quote. Now let's read on into the story. In verse 2, it says, And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told the his lord saying thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of israel end quote the next part of the story here is pretty important because another character is introduced out of nowhere when the assyrian raiding parties came back from israel with spoils and slaves a young jewish girl was brought to serve naaman's wife this girl's attitude towards her situation is truly something to admire. Instead of being proud and bitter about her situation, she makes what seems to be, at this point, an absurd claim that her God can heal Naaman. Now you have to keep this in mind, that Naaman was a Gentile and not a believer. Then we would have to consider the faith of the young girl to say that God could heal leprosy because there were no examples for her to go off of in the Old Testament. Moses' sister Miriam was punished with leprosy for seven days and then healed, but she was not a true leper. Not one person in the Old Testament was healed of leprosy until that time. So how did the little girl know that? It wasn't in the specific problem in which she focused, rather... It was the faith that God would have mercy on an unsaved man. This little girl is unnamed, and we don't even know what happened to her later. But her faith undoubtedly 
gave her many rich rewards in heaven as her faith would lead to Naaman's salvation later in the story. There are many people in the Bible that are not named, but played a significant part in God's plan that he had set in order. There's a very good lesson there about that, in which you don't have to be famous or known by everyone to make a major impact upon people's lives and please God. This girl was a tremendous example, and we don't even know anything about her. Now, we do know enough about her to still talk about what her works and what she did about 3,000 years later. That's pretty astounding. Naaman is obviously in a desperate state, so he figures he had nothing to lose but his life, right? So why not listen to this young girl's advice about seeking after her God? The reaction uh, in the next set of verses are actually pretty funny. Verses 5 through 8, it says, And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel read this letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he quarreth against me. And, and it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he said to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come, and, come now to me, and he shall know that there was a prophet in Israel. End quote. Remember, the mighty Assyrian Empire was already knocking at Israel's door for conquering when Naaman sent this letter. The king of Israel, he was thinking that they were just trying to look to pick a fight to really seal the deal and invading. The king's response was right when he said, Am I God to kill and make alive? <laughs> Once again, there wasn't a prophet of Israel that had used the power of God to heal leprosy until this time. Besides that, I'm pretty sure that the king of Israel could actually care less that the Assyrian general got the cure that he was looking for. I mean, think about it. Israel's army would be better off if the Assyrians lost one of their best generals, right? Let's be real about that. Is that not what most of us would be thinking at first? Thinking, wait a minute, why would I want to save you? You're my enemy, right? Well, King Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, starting in verse 21, it said, quote, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, Give him water to drink, for thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. End quote. It is not like Israel didn't know the teachings in the Proverbs, but the state of the nation at this time was not very good. What was the Lord saying there? He says, bless your enemies, feed them if they're hungry, give them water if, they, if they're thirsty, and you'll heap coals of fire upon their head. What does it mean? 
that you're going to convict them and make them second guess what they're even doing to you. This message will be reiterated later on in the New Testament with Jesus Christ himself. Now Elisha had heard that the king was freaking out about this message and knew it was a sign from the Lord. He said to let this man come down and he shall know that there was a prophet in Israel. I don't believe that Elisha was speaking out of pride here. Rather, it was to point to the almighty God that could not only heal Naaman, but also a decaying Israel at the time. In previous chapters, God had already worked mighty miracles through Elisha, and though there wasn't a record of healing uh, with leprosy specifically, that didn't stop him from claiming that God could do it. Naaman would then come down to meet the prophet of Israel, or so he thought anyways. Let's look at verse number 9. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash them and be clean? So he turned and went away in his rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do something great, wouldst thou have not done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? End quote. Naaman was a very proud man. And I'm sure that when he had that letter written to the king of Israel, that he thought he was going to get some sort of royal treatment. He would never see Elisha because Elisha would just send out his servant Gehazi, basically as his messenger. You find out his uh, name later on in the story, the servant. There was only one simple message, a step of faith to go and wash in the Jordan River seven times to have his flesh healed of his leprosy. This is not unlike how God operated throughout scriptures as a whole, because if a person wanted to meet with God, they would hear from a prophet. Naaman was filled with wrath at this response, as Elisha didn't meet his grand expectations on what he thought it was to be, you know, how he's going to be healed and all that type of stuff. Then he said, well, my rivers in Assyria are better than Israel's, so why not wash in them? <laughs> He traveled all the way down to see Elisha and didn't have his expectations met because of his pride and his arrogance. And he turned away home angry. One theologian wrote about this situation. He said, quote, The natural man is a poor judge of God's methods of salvation. Naaman had made up his mind that the prophet's method, what the or what the prophet's method would be. He had his own notions concerning the fitness of things, the mode of which divine help would come, if it came at all, and how it would come to him. Naaman would be reminded by his servants that if he was asked to do some great thing, he would do it. But what does he have to lose with this particular thing? End quote. Naaman essentially had the idea that most of the world has today, 
when they think about attaining their own salvation. But no man can possibly do such. It says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64 and verse 6, it says, But we are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. End quote. What is he saying? He's saying that our good works before God are filthy rags before him. Now that's astounding. The New Testament is going to reiterate this in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and first uh verses 8 through 9 where it says, "For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast." Our works mean nothing to God when it comes to salvation. Now, of course, when one becomes a believer and a Christian, the works that you do here on earth will be judged and the rewards you get in heaven or the lack thereof, you know, those things will be looked at. But in the scope of salvation itself, that is only found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Naaman thought that he was worthy of some sort of spectacular treatment, but God decided to take a direct shot at his pride and arrogance. He was left with a choice, either leave angry or do something which seemed so simple to do. Naaman would finally make the wise decision to heed Elisha's words, and we would see that starting in verse 14. It says, quote, Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And then when he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servants. But he said, As the Lord liveth, behold whom I stand, I will not receive, or I will receive none. He urged, and he urged him to take it, but he, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing the Lord pardoned thy servant that... When my master goeth in the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leaneth upon my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. So we departed from him a little way. When Naaman set aside his pride, God was then able to fulfill what he said he was going to do. When he washed seven times in the Jordan River, his skin was no longer leprous. But the Bible says that his skin was like that of a child and clean. He was completely healed of his infirmity. And I am sure the look on his face drastically changed. Now, we don't know how far Naaman was in his original condition, but even in the early stages of leprosy, the skin can get mangled and ugly very quickly. He was given 
life anew by obeying God in faith. The cure did not lie within the Jordan River itself, but upon the faith of Naaman. Notice that Naaman's attitude completely changed. This is what's true about biblical repentance and what that looks like. And of course, if you want more on that subject, I just recently did a podcast on that, podcast number 18, Repent for What is what it's called. Check it out. Now, Naaman was proclaiming that there is no other God in all, all the earth. Those are tremendous words for a former pagan. He wanted to bless the prophet with money and treasure. And of course, he thought he was doing a good thing, but Elisha refused it. He said he didn't want to make merchandise of God's miracles. This will be later echoed in the New Testament by Jesus when he gave his power to his disciples. They were to take no money or gifts for the power and healings that they would bestow. Naaman then said that he wanted to go collect a bunch of dirt from the location so he can know that the God that the God of Israel can be worshipped on that ground. It's important to notice that Israel herself didn't put such an emphasis on the dirt or the ground in which they stood. Naaman was formerly a pagan. That's kind of how he you know, he showed his religiosity and how he saw the world. And God didn't chastise him for that. He was a new believer and as he saw it he would no longer worship his former pagan deities. He almost blew it and rejected what God had to offer in the beginning. That decision going the other way would have indeed cost him everything. But all of this happened because he let go of his pride and his arrogance. The last few verses I read, verses 18 and 19, are astounding when you look at them because Naaman was asking for mercy from God. He was asking if he could be forgiven for standing next to his king, Ben-Hadad, as he was like kind of a physical support for when the king bowed himself to the pagan god Rimen. Naaman asked for pardon for doing such, as his heart of worship was with the Almighty God. What is absolutely fascinating is that Elisha, who spoke for God, did not say it was okay to do that. He just said, go in peace. It was simple, as he would be granted mercy and forgiveness for his sin of being in the pagan temple in the first place, because it's still a sin. It's not excused. Elisha didn't say, it is okay, go, go on in peace. No, he just said, go in peace. He didn't justify the action. That's very important. When you sit and ponder on that thought, there's a lot to unpack about that situation, much like the little girl's faith earlier. This is a very unique situation in scripture as Israel had laws that put idolaters to death <laughs> and when you violated that. There were so many that were killed over time because Israel or Judah were bowing and worshiping idols. I go further into this idea of how much we actually sin and that idea of judgment and uh, what what encompasses sin itself in podcast number 49, whose sin is it? Of course, in the book of Daniel, you had another example of the three Hebrew children who rejected Nebuchadnezzar's idol and the grand story that would play out from that. 
Naaman didn't stick around for a theology lesson, but God simply granted him mercy. That is amazing. He came looking for a cure for his sickness, but he left with not only that, he left with salvation. This would bring us to another character to focus on and how this grand story is not going to end so well. Let's look at verse number 20 and go from there. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared name in the Syrian, and not receiving at his hands that which was he, which would he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take someone of him. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down off the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there have come unto me from Mount Ephraim two young men and the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content. Take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon his two servants, or uh, upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower and took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. Basically he said, I didn't go nowhere. He lied. <laughs> and he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee? When the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and manservants and maidservants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper, white as snow." End quote. Gehazi, the servant who delivered the messages for Elisha, in his pride, decided to be covetous. He said to himself basically that it's such a waste that such rewards were rejected by Elisha. He thought up a lie to go tell Naaman about giving a gift to the sons of the prophets who came down to visit. He did all this in the name of Elisha as well. It's important to remember what I said previously, that God's power is not for sale. And there were strict rules about not receiving gifts for such things. In his pride, I bet Gehazi thought that he'd get away with it. But that's because sin makes you stupid. Think of it this way. Elisha just performed the word and power of God. And yet Gehazi somehow thought that he could not only escape Elisha's notice, but God's notice of his sin. Gehazi's punishment was to bear the leprosy that escaped Naaman, and now his sin of pride and covetousness would carry him to his grave. Gehazi's greed and deception are a warning for us today as well, and the lessons of pride throughout the story. Many of us can have very similar experiences, uh, well, as far as the choices that we make in our life, much like Naaman uh, had to make. Our pride can deter us from making good choices. 
And this story is no different from the types of things we deal with today. This story would ring throughout the generations, even until Christ's time, when he mentions Naaman again in Luke chapter 4 and verse 27. He talks about the major lesson of faith about that story and, and how how great that was. That only one man in history, until that time anyways, had been healed of leprosy. From the young girl that was a servant to Naaman to Elisha himself, there were so many practical lessons to help us see who we are and what we are before a holy God. If we but just trust him by faith, he will deliver us. Many trials are for our own good, but not only to help us grow, but that maybe it might be for another person that you meet along the way. I deal more with that subject in podcast number six with a purpose. But ultimately, no matter what God puts in our lives, he will be there to walk us through it. As Christians, we should come to realize that nothing goes unnoticed by God in this world and that everything will indeed meet its rightful conclusion. Evil will be judged one day, but the righteous will be blessed by God. Our mission is to not let the pride of life consume us and push us into making foolish decisions. We are to strive to live by faith and endure until the coming of Christ again one day. I want to thank you for listening and be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content, and remember to find your refuge and strength in our mighty fortress.